Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence brought to you by the TCT content team. I'm your host, Laura Griffiths, and as always for this month's editorial roundtable chat, I'm joined by TCT's senior content producer, Sam Davis, to discuss the biggest news stories in 3D printing from April. Hello, Sam. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Mr. I have one vaccine? (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm feeling all right. I had a bit of a sore throat, which kind of comes and goes. Um, So I think it's nearly 48 hours since my vaccine. I had a slight headache. shortly afterwards but i've been i've been all right to be fair my arm was hurting yesterday but i'm able now to lift it above my head which is a good good sign so i think i'm i'm past the worst of it and the worst of it wasn't very bad i've you know i've had worse hangovers than the reaction i had to the vaccine so yeah (laughs) well that was the big news really for you for april (laughs) that's it that's the end of the podcast podcast. done thanks thanks so much everybody (laughs) I mean, compared to the rest of the year, April, in terms of 3D printing news, had been a fairly quiet month, uh, which was handy for us, really, considering we had been busy putting together the next two issues of TCT Mag. But then, as usual, a bunch of news crept in around the same time. So um, on today's episode, we're going to cover four news stories and give you a preview of some of the content that you can find um, in the magazine. If you're not already a print subscriber, you can fix that by going to tctmagazine.com. Click on subscribe to get your free copy and access to our digital library and also our weekly Additive Insight newsletter. So uh, the three news stories we're going to cover, sorry, the four news stories we're going to cover on today's episode are Stratasys launching not one, not two, but three new printers, Fortify launching two new composite 3D printers, Materialize acquiring an option to buy Link 3D, and Shapeways becoming the latest 3D printing property to go public. But first, a word from our Additive Insight sponsor, Ultimaker. Ultimaker are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion based 3D printers that can help you streamline your workflow and help you save time and money. Ultimaker printers offer industrial grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. With a decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimaker printers are being used by a wide range of industrial users for a broad range of applications. For more information, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash UltimakerPod. So Stratasys was one of the reasons for us moving this month's episode recording uh, from last week to this week, because we knew this this pretty big news was coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stratasys has introduced three new 3D printers, each based on a different method of polymer additive manufacturing technology. I'm going to start with the one that's probably the least surprising. So um, the Stratasys F770 3D printer is a pretty big machine. It's the latest in the F-series family. It adopts Stratasys industrial grade FDM technology um, and features the longest fully heated build chamber on the market with a volume of 372 litres. And so it's designed for the production of large prototypes, jigs and fixtures, tooling applications, and anything that requires uh, standard thermoplastics. Um, as I said, this is probably the most um, obvious one, really. Stratasys are always um, building out the, the FDM lineup. And this F770 is um, compatible with Stratasys soluble support material, which makes it a lot easier to post-process those big parts. And also it's GrabCAD uh, print software, NT Connect, standard GrabCAD STK, the streamlined workflow. So all very much got all the goods from Stratasys big uh, 3D printing FDM workflow. 
But moving on to the second machine is the Stratasys Origin One 3D printer, which is the first product to come out of the company's takeover of Startup Origin last year, which we've covered extensively. Sam, you interviewed uh, the guys from Origin and also Stratasys mm-hmm. at the time. And this new system uses Origin's proprietary P3 technology um, and this software-first architecture to produce parts at high volumes in a range of open certified third-party materials. Um, they promise industrial-leading accuracy, detail, finish, etc., repeatability. Um, the technology is said to have been optimized, um, I quote, on virtually all aspects to improve uh, reliability and performance. So um, obviously, with Stratasys taking over Origin last year, they've come in now and I guess use their know-how to really um, boost this this technology, which I think a lot of people are quite excited about um, anyway from Origin. Uh, but they really believe that this technology has a potential 3.7 billion dollar market opportunity by 2025 to be used for production-oriented segments um, such as automotive, consumer goods, medical, dental, and tooling applications. So, a massive market that they're predicting with this technology. Technology. Um, the actual machine itself looks pretty much the same as the the Origin One machine, uh, with a, now with the Stratasys logo on the top of it. So I'm not too sure how different this machine actually is. But Sam, I know that you went along to the the launch event. Did they give many more details about how this technology has been optimized, as they've said? Yeah, they did. So I think there was about a hundred design um, improvements, and I think wow um yeah so obviously they, they probably didn't want to kind of go through all of them but i know that <laughs> it was like, a long press release anyway <laughs> yeah, it's bigger in the z-axis i think um the build volume um i think they've they've managed to kind of improve um the, the speed of it um and that kind of thing and then i don't know i think maybe some of the others are kind of ergonomics um maybe some software stuff as well um mm-hmm. i think i think there's so much and it probably, I don't know, I think maybe so many of the, the improvements are quite small, but I, I guess as a collective, it probably improves the machine quite a lot. So um, there's not too many details out there, but, um, you know, as you said, in the press release, in the press conference, um, there was, there was you know, a lot of talk about it. Um, there's uh, T Connectivity, who are a massive company. They manufacture 192 billion parts every year and have been using... 3D printing for 30 years, saying that this is the machine that's um, allowing them to kind of go into um, volume production, kind of small to mid series, I think, with with 3D printing. Um, the, the CEO of Stratasys described it as a revolution in DLP. Um, so they're, they're pretty happy with um, the machine. And I think, you know, like Stratasys was saying that the opportunities are medical and dental and I think T connectivity have produced a, an aerospace component with it, um, a kind of connector holding, and I think there's all sorts that they can do. You mentioned the, you know, the the massive market they've got with this machine. They do consider it one of their mass production machines. Um, so yeah, I think it, it sounds like a pretty significant launch. Um, one thing I did think was interesting was that they've changed the business model on this one slightly. So it was. Origin brought it to market as a kind of lease or subscription-based model and Stratasys, based on customer feedback, have now gone with uh, more of a CapEx model as their primary mm. business model for this machine. So there has been um, a bit of change, and I think, I don't know, the acquisition went through, what, four months ago? So there's been mm-hmm. a lot of change in a, in a short amount of time with that one. Yeah. And and with this machine as well, they are aiming after this mass production. They 
various different types of markets is is that because it's not a massive machine is that because they expect people to really scale this technology from the various conversations you've had yeah i think so so they've, they've kind of made a modular capability um and you know the, i guess the plan is to have print farms of these machines essentially and yeah and then there's a massive materials portfolio they partner with origin before they they part they came into the tractor company we're partnering with the likes of BASF, Henkel, DSM, and I think Stratasys, although they're not naming them at the moment, have got maybe some more materials partners. So there's a big materials portfolio as well. Um, and, the, you know, there's loads of software behind it as well. So I think, yeah, the idea is um, maybe to manufacture small size parts, but to really kind of increase the number of the machines you've got and, and really be able to scale it. Um, Kind of like what you know the the photocentric guys are doing um, during COVID mm. with with their you know rows of printers, kind of like that. I think. And there was a third machine launched today as well. Again, a completely different type of technology, something else that was brand new to Stratasys, and it's the first machine from the new H series production platform built on this new selective absorption fusion, so SAF technology, which was announced earlier this year. It's called the H350 printer. It features around a dozen SAF 3D printed parts itself. So I love that when we get these new machines mm. and they're actually built with some parts that were printed with its own technology. I think that's always a really nice proof point um, to show that the technology actually works and can be used in these end-use applications. Um, it is said to provide production-level throughput for end-use parts, which I guess it has shown <laughs> in its own uh, machines there. Uh, promises production consistency at this competitive and predictable cost per part. Complete control of, of production for thousands of parts, such things such as covers, connectors, hinges, cable holders, electronic housings, and ducting. So lots and lots of different types of, um, of, of smaller applications there. So um, as I said, this SAF technology or SAF technology was um, launched earlier this year. It's an evolution of high-speed sensoring, uh, which was developed by uh, Professor Neil Hopkinson at Loughborough University. And um, this is basically the first product from that and it follows Stratus is taking up a 45% stake in the company Zar3D who had licensed this HSS technology in 2019 um, to kind of round out this polymer 3D printing portfolio which is something they keep talking about and really reiterating over and over now about how Stratasys are really trying to tap into every bit of the polymer 3D printer market they really want to be this go-to company for polymer technologies and you know I, I guess that's the way people see them anyway now they're, they're one of the oldest companies in the industry uh, and the company believes um it is now quote well positioned to serve the majority of manufacturing applications so this um, saf technology has been designed to meet the needs of volume manufacturing um developed through more than 10 years of research so again through that research and, and development done with professor neil hopkinson at the university um it's a bit of a, a complex process which sam i know you've explained on a previous uh, podcast mm -hmm. episode um it works by using a counter-rotating roller to coat powder layers onto the print bed and then industrial print heads deposit this absorber fluid uh, to image the part layers, which are then fused with um, the passing of a infrared lamp over the entire print bed. So um, completely different for, for Stratasys there. Uh, this H350 printer has been in beta testing since earlier this year with service bureaus and even at Stratasys' own direct manufacturing bureau in the US as well, where they're already apparently using it to, um, to produce parts for customers the machine is expected to ship broadly to customers in q3 uh, this year uh, it will use some third-party certified materials for the hs uh, sort of the h-series systems um, the initial material on it is a high yield pa11 which is a bio-based plastic made from sustainable castor oil so 
lots of different types of technologies there. They, they really are sticking to this vision to tackle um, every angle of the market. And I know, Sam, that you, as I said, you attended the launch, but you also spoke to, um, to Neil as well a little bit about this technology. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to say, first of all, I think on the um, on the press conference, I had the slide, and I know we, we obviously know all of the technologies they now have in their polymorph portfolio, but when you see them all side by side, kind of in a row from the ones that you'd expect to be used for kind of prototyping um, or, or or tooling, so kind of, you know, the, the Polyjet, the FDMs, and then um, the, the RPS Neo machines, and then you've got the mass production with... Um, the origin and now the SAF technology, it does look like a really impressive lineup mm-hmm. right way across. And um, Neil was telling me yesterday now, so we recording this on Thursday, spoke to Neil on Wednesday, the press conference was on Tuesday. He was telling me that since the beginning, so since 2003, they've been designing this technology for manufacturing, not only to have the kind of consistency and throughput required, but also kind of make sure that they'd have a business model in place. So if you the print heads, for example, they're they're not considered consumables. They're not going to be something that um, companies will have to pay for separately. They're going to just be a part of the printer, mm-hmm. um, and and the the kind of basically what's happened since um, I think I think actually it was the first technology I ever saw since when I joined TCT. The first three D printing technology I saw in the flesh, and that was four years ago last month, I think. Since then, basically, they've they've really centered their focus around the stability of the technology's thermodynamics. And this all kind of comes together with the, the consistency and throughput that they're trying to achieve. And they've, they've managed to ensure that all the particles that are fused across the bed experience exactly the same temperature, um, regardless of where they are in the build. Um, and then there's a big wave powder handling system that helps to minima- minimize aging and thermal exposure um, to make sure that everything is done consistently. Um, doing that means there is a slight compromise on the speed um, in which parts are printed, but Stratasys and Neil think that that's a price worth paying to get the, the consistency and the, and the part yield that will make sure that this is a um, you know a mass production technology. Um, the H350 is just the first machine um of the series there's more to come and they'll announce that when they're ready and um just a, a word on the kind of relationship between strat systems r3d they they mentioned in the press conference that it's a joint venture um centered around bringing this technology to market strat as you mentioned own 45 percent of czar 3d and czar plc have announced that they do want to divest um that division and Stratasys are now in kind of advanced discussions to you know to take up the option they've got and have had since 2019 to acquire it but they're not going to kind of announce any of that until it's absolutely ready but um i would you know based on on strass wanting to kind of push on with the the commercialization of this technology and czar wanting to kind of divest you would assume that um that takeover happens at some point down the line I know I feel like we're just waiting for them to make that announcement now every time we we speak to them <laughs> definitely and um Andy Langfather spoke to you as well yes they were quite candid he was basically saying that their historical portfolio um although they've had a lot of success with FDM and Polyjet um they can only go so far when kind of trying to scale them I know there's I think there's probably production applications on both technologies there certainly is on FDM 
um, with the F900 and the F770 is a bit more kind of tooling and jigs and fixtures rather than the production of end-use parts. But they were, you know, they were quite candid in saying, you know, to kind of reach these mass production applications and opportunities, they've needed to to make acquisitions, and that's where you know the acquisition of Origin has come from, where poten- the potential acquisition of Zar 3D will come from, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know RPS as well, kind of supporting that with their large format SLA machine. Mm-hmm. So moving on to our second story, and it is another multiple machine launch, this time from Fortify, which has introduced two new composite 3D printers. Um, Sam, I know you reported on this one earlier mm-hmm. this month. This is a very, it's a unique technology. It's a DLP process that uses this uh, magnetic field to print with these reinforced resins. Do you want to tell us a little bit about these new machines? Yeah, yeah. So Fortify came to market, I think, two years ago now in 2019, and they, I think they've raised about $30 million uh, dollars in, in in funding round since then um they commenced shipping of the the flux one composite dlp printing system in september and then um they've added two new systems the flux core and flux 3d platforms um this month as well as the flux developer software which is designed to allow users to kind of access all of the processing parameters and then that will enable them to kind of uh you know push the limits with, with material properties and that kind of thing but the um the 3d printing systems um lean on uh the continuous kinetic mixing technology which blends resin and additives to create composite materials and they also lean on uh flux print magnetic alignment which is basically all about aligning the fibers in each layer of the part to enhance strength stiffness heat deflection temperature and that kind of thing um, and while the Fluxone system has been designed for mold, uh, mold tooling, jigs and fixtures, that kind of thing, um, the core and the Flux 3D platforms are, are geared towards customer-facing end-use applications. So um, the Flux 3D system uses a new configuration of that FluxPrint magnetic alignment, which is called FluxPrint 3D. This is a three-axis magnetic field, which gives users more control in aligning the fibers within the materials in any access throughout the parts as they're printed. Um, and this platform is said to be suitable for um, printing things like heat sinks, heat exchangers, uh, high-performance industrial connectors. Um, and, and the Flux Core system, meanwhile, is described as the, the baseline machine in, in Fortify's portfolio. It's uh, ideal, ideal for processing more viscous particle-filled resins where uh, magnetic alignment isn't required. So these include parts like RF devices and electronic applications. Um, and basically the motivation behind these launches, um, according to Josh Martin, the CEO, is that while there's plenty of room for growth in the in the tools and fixtures market, um, there is, and I quote, an order of magnitude greater market potential for end-use applications. Um, I'm sure Stratasys will, will testify to that with their with their launches as well and um so you know these additions to the fortify portfolio will allow them to kind of address end use applications too mm-hmm. yeah i imagine that that's really true and I, I think back to when we we first started covering um fortify's technology and we were talking a lot about the its use in molding and tooling and i remember at the time thinking that's really all the technology was for but you know the more we look at this now and how far this technology has already come the idea that you can use these different types of materials, these reinforced resins, there's probably 
so many places they can go to with that with different types of I I don't think I'm using the right word here but like the filler materials you can use maybe things like I don't know potentially other types of composites that you could potentially use within those resins so I think there's a lot of potential for this in in the end use market and it'd be interesting to to see what 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 users come out of this and when we start to see these machines actually been been placed inside real manufacturing environments yeah i think if you look at the other kind of composite technologies on the market um while the immediate play for the likes of mark forge desktop metal um continuous composites are are those tool and jigs and fixtures i think um they'd all like to also hit these end use applications as well so i think Mm -hmm. That's probably something that we'll see across the industry. Obviously, Fortify's technology is a bit different. It's a DLP technology um, to them, but um, there's obviously potential there to kind of address these uh, production applications too. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to go to a word from our Additive Insights sponsor, Ultimaker. Ultimaker are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion-based 3D printers that can help you streamline your workflow and help you save time and money. Ultimaker printers offer industrial grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. With a decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimaker printers are being used by a wide range of industrial users for a broad range of applications. For more information, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash ultimakerpod. Okay, let's dive into story three, which is Materialize's potential acquisition news. So the company has announced it's in pole position to acquire Link3D, who are a provider of additive manufacturing workflow and MES solutions. Materialize are, of course, one of the longest standing companies in this industry. They've been providing their own software solutions for three decades now. Um, and with this potential deal, it's expected to exercise its option to take over Link 3D before the end of 2021, which is set to potentially expand Materialize's customer base across North America, Europe and Asia Asia Pacific and also according to a press release I quote um, accelerate its platform strategy to offer companies cloud-based access to its unified software platform and the terms of the deal have not yet been disclosed but Materialize has said that it will make final decisions on the acquisition later this year with the Link3D management team remaining in place. Um, Sam, I know you covered this story earlier this month as well but Mm -hmm. it just I think this is such a it, it sounds like a fitting partnership when you think about the the moves that Materialize are making. Materialize has, of course, been long positioning itself as this backbone. They use the word backbone quite a lot um, for the software side of the AM industry. Um, and this is kind of, um, I guess, the the last piece of that, that puzzle. It, it fits well with recent developments at the company, which have been towards building out this roadmap to evolve its software suite to a software as a service model um, to give customers these cloud-based access to its entire software offering and the company um, believes that this partnership will or partnership acquisition will provide users with this efficient access to um, a more integrated portfolio of 3d printing um, software solutions and allow them to benefit faster from more software innovations and really help them scale their operations and and it also fits with some announcements that materializers made more recently with different software products cloud-based software products like uh, magic storefront and the e-commerce um, solution crm solution and the process tuner platform so 
all these different things really seem to slot in quite well with this potential um, acquisition. So yeah, as I said, you, you covered this story in, in more detail earlier this month, and you've spoke to Link3D quite a lot over the last year too. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those where it just seems they have kind of complementary offerings, and I guess at the moment, complementary business models that have obviously materialised are kind of move into this cloud-based offering and, and Link3D's products, I think, um, you know, their, their MES and their, their QMS systems, they're all available by the cloud already. So it kind of ties in. And then I think Materialize gets to grow its customer base in North America. Link3D gets to have seamless access to Materialize Magics. Um, and I think Friedran Kram says in the, in, the, um, in the announcement that, you know, it's basically just going to help remove some of the complexity associated with scale in 3D printing. And, mm. and that's why they've both come together. Yeah. And I think it's it's a really nice result of how Link3D has been really raising its profile over, over the years and mm. positioning itself as, um, you know, alongside all these leaders within the industry. And more broadly, it's just another example of those mergers and acquisitions that we're seeing more and more of now and that we keep talking about on, on this <laughs> podcast, but how the industry is consolidating with these companies, partnering together to fill those gaps and to... Um, to just grow different segments um, in just more effective ways rather than doing things, rather than one company decides to try and do everything themselves. It's just another great example of that. Yeah, and I think that it all just kind of um, comes into that idea of materialize, I'm sure, have the capacity and the capability to develop um, some of the solutions that Link3D are bringing to market. But why waste time when, you know, you can just, you know, merge with the with the company. Um, I, you know, it's something that Stratasys who've made loads of acquisitions say all the time that they can do it. But if we can partner with or merge with this company who's already doing it and already doing it well, then we may as well do that. And I'm pretty sure that's what the, the users of the technology would want to see. They want these solutions with their kind of trusted suppliers and they want them as soon as possible. And, you know, if that means a bit of consolidation in the market, then I think most people would see that as a good thing. And speaking of mergers and acquisitions, <laughs> our last story is Shapeways is to list on the New York Stock Exchange via a merger with special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC. Who knew how much we'd be using that term this year? Uh, Galileo Acquisition Corp. at an initial enterprise value of approximately $410 million. Sam, again, this is another one that you have covered um, on the website this week. Another company making it on the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah. Tell us, how has this come about? I know, we've basically written the same intro about five times on a story and just had to replace the, the company that's going public. It's the same route and the same uh, stock exchange. Um, yeah. This one's with a company called Galileo Acquisition Corp. Um, as you said, the initial enterprise value of Shetway's Holdings, which is what the combined company will be named, is around 410 million. Um, the transaction will provide $195 million of net proceeds to Shapeways, including the $75 million common stock pipe at $10 per share, which includes investments from a number of venture capital firms and Desktop Metal, who's one of those companies to go public virus back on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and they've they've joined recently as a new investor in Shapeways. Um, they'll also be working with Shapeways now to expand its metal additive manufacturing capability, which you know will give Shapeways a boost in a number of the vertical markets it's already 
serving like aerospace, automotive, medical, um, consumer goods. Um, Shetway's got a you know massive kind of fleet of polymer technology, um, and is now looking to kind of expand what it's doing on the metal side. Um, and you know it's probably at this stage one of the leading service providers in the in the industry. They announced fairly recently, I think, that it's now printed more than 20 or 21 million parts and delivered them to 1 million customers in 160 different countries. Um, they've, they're, they're kind of offering their software as a service now as well. Um, and, and they believe going public will kind of help to accelerate its AM capabilities, um, expand its material and technology offerings. Um, and the, the agreement, uh, the deal transaction has been unanimously approved by both the board of directors at Shapeways and Galileo, but the deal is now still subject to approvals from Galileo shareholders and um, other customer conditions, but it is expected to close this summer and Galileo have until uh, the middle of October to consummate the merger. Um, so we'll have confirmation on what is a pretty big development for Shapeways in the next few months, but I think um, as will the, the Link 3D and materialized merger we'd expect that to go through um sometime this year Mm -hmm. i think this is if i'm right i think it's the first merger of this kind that we've seen with a 3d printing service provider the the rest have been uh, machine manufacturers like mark forged and desktop metal but um this is the first that we've seen which has been a a service provider And, and of this size as well you know shapeways is this um huge company you know we know it's got operations in the in the us and also um in europe as well they run so many different types of additive manufacturing technologies and as you mentioned they're, they're going to be touching on on metals as well i went to visit them a few years ago now and i was so overwhelmed by just the size of their their factory and um you know just the amount of parts they were churning out every single day i, I remember feeling like just like i don't know how they 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 monitor all these parts yeah. there was so so many of them but i think one thing that i found interesting in in this press release um is it was a quote from the co-founder of Galileo who said that they were extremely excited to partner with Shapeways and to help the company achieve its goals and capture the additive manufacturing 2.0 opportunity additive Mm. manufacturing 2.0 is something I feel like we've heard so much about lately but I don't think anybody's really saying what that is so like Stratasys mentioned it in the press release this week about these new technologies how they're really hoping that this taps into um additive manufacturing 2.0 and i think they meant it more in terms of uh, moving away from mm-hmm. prototype and moving into production things like the mass production we talked about with the origin machine but it's something that desktop metal talked about as well um i think last month with us too when they were talking about um for them it was more about how additive manufacturing has been a technology now for for 30 years but um mm. it's sort of it's reached this level where it's kind of established itself and it's like okay how do we get to that next step what are we going to do with that how do we turn it into a real manufacturing production technology so i i guess with with this as well you know i, I wonder is is that what is it also production in this case is it is is it talking about how do we move it to better you know things like factory yeah. of the future and industry 4.0 is it is it that kind of thing so i just found it quite interesting that they use the term like additive manufacturing 2.0 and, and is that something we're going to see uh, more of now it has has the whole industry secretly got together and decided this is what we're going with now it's additive manufacturing 2.0 i mean i think it's a bit buzzwordy but i andy langfeld on from stratasys i was speaking to earlier this week he basically 
I've I've never really looked into what this means because I just thought it was a bit buzzwordy, but <laughs> I think you're right. It is about moving from prototype into production. He basically said, if we're thinking about additive manufacturing 2.0, we've done one, we've moved through one, and now we're at two. And mm-hmm. that would kind of fall in line with that. Um, and he was referring to, you know, these acquisitions that they've made to to add the kind of production capacity to their portfolio. So that, as I understand it, is basically a making it more of a manufacturing technology than a prototyping technology, albeit without, you know, it's not about forgetting the prototyping because I think that's still a huge, huge market for 3D printing and it probably always will be. But it's about these companies probably, as you say, getting together and deciding that we're going to kind of, I guess, market the industry and the technology as a collective, um, as a more of a production tool now. Mm-hmm. And, and I suppose that, the whole idea of moving to production makes sense for Shapeways as well, because if we think about all the conversations you and I have had with companies over the last year about how additive manufacturing opens up different different ways of, of tackling supply chain through distributed manufacturing, whether that does mean having 3D printers set up in hubs, whether it means using a service provider like this, and maybe that does mean that a company like Shapeways is going to be seen as more of like a a factory it, it is a manufacturing partner for, for so many companies now I know as you said was it 21 million parts have already been delivered I wonder yeah. how many of those that are already um, production parts but I guess this must be about really accelerating that and yeah that Shapeway is being seen as this as this true manufacturer really rather than um you know a, a just just a 3d printing service provider hmm. yeah I would think so I mean if you think they're what a 10 year old company um to be putting out 21 million parts is a pretty decent effort. And I think if you can do that, then you would assume that they've got, you know, at least some of the infrastructure that it would take to kind of start ramping up volumes of specific parts and being able to really, um, cause I know a, a lot of what Shetways do is probably prototyping or even kind of just, you know, consumer parts, mm-hmm. um, one offs. Um, really high mix stuff but if they've got the capacity to produce 21 million parts and distribute that to um, a million customers in 160 different countries I'll let the train go past um, <laughs> then you would you would think that there's somewhat of the infrastructure there to then take that to uh, production so to close out, we have a preview of some of the features coming up in the next issues of TCT Europe and North America, which we've been working on over the last couple of weeks. The main focus of this issue is healthcare, which Sam, as you describe in your editor's letter, which I've said so many times now, but nearly made me cry twice. Uh, <laughs> there's something very fitting about the content inside this year's feature because it talks about um, how additive manufacturing is being used in vaccine delivery, whereas last year we were talking about how the industry was really rushing and pulling together to make things like PPE that were uh, very mm-hmm. much in demand, and then it moved on to making the um, the testing swabs, and now we're talking about vaccines, which is obviously great, and for that to have all happened in the space of a year, I think it's just a really lovely uh, way of rounding out that, that whole covid narrative and and 3d printing so sam i know that you wrote about that but you also wrote about um healthcare and how additive manufacturing has been used inside hospital labs which we know has been happening for some time now but it it threw up some really interesting points about the accessibility to this technology and and how healthcare systems really need to change in order to to adopt it properly yeah absolutely so you know i started just uh, let's have a look at these kind of the insides of the hospital 
3D printing labs. And then um, it quickly kind of started to center around the use of 3D printing for um, pre-op planning models, which I think to the 3D printing industry is probably not anything new and probably something people find a bit boring. But if, if you kind of look at it from the healthcare perspective, it's a, a burgeoning practice um, within within healthcare. And um, we were kind of looking at um, the kind of considerations that these um, hospitals would take, how they would set up their labs and how the labs are run. Um, there being two different kinds, one labs that are run and kind of serve all of the different departments within a hospital and they're run by a print manager and then labs that are run by the surgeon. We spoke to Jenny Zabler from Children's Hospital Colorado who was great and who were doing amazing stuff and um, they work with both Materialize and Actual 3D um, to kind of help out with their segmentation um, and they're doing some really cool stuff. What became obvious is that the all of the people we spoke to for this feature recognise that 3D printing has become becoming the standard of care for for surgical planning it's no longer about you know looking at um a really basic 2d image from a ct scan and and working out how you're going to operate you've got it in your hands you're able to converse with the patient and the patient's family um and your team and work out how you're going to do this um and it you know it it probably improves the quality but also kind of gives uh, people peace of mind and then the problem with it becoming this kind of standard practice is the cost. Um, so, and that's both for private and public healthcare systems for different reasons. Um, public, obviously, funding is an issue throughout, and and being able to have the money to purchase a machine to begin with is, you know, not always easy for these public healthcare systems. And in private, they need reimbursement, and they don't have the permanent code yet to really invest and use the technology. Jenny Zabler and Children's Hospital Colorado are doing it basically with no return on investment because it improves the quality of what they do so much. But they're all saying that the cost needs to come down of just buying the machines and the cost per part needs to come down. Um, and then there needs to be reimbursement codes. And, and the way to kind of go about the reimbursement codes is just doing studies and, and writing papers on, on how they've used it exactly why it enhances the the care of what they do uh, the quality of, of the care they give um and although we're probably still a few years away from getting those reimbursement codes and allowing um private healthcare systems to to deploy the technology improve their care and, and you know not be out of pocket um it is going to happen it's just how quickly depends on the the cost of the technology really mm-hmm. yeah i thought it was a, a really interesting piece because we cover 3d printing in the healthcare industry quite Mm. a lot and we cover medical modeling and and things like that but sometimes we don't often stop to think about okay well how does this actually work in day-to-day healthcare Mm. scenarios you know how how does how do these high costs really affect um hospitals and and healthcare systems ability to actually buy into this technology because as you said sam you know it, it it these 3d 3d images they should just be the, the standard really you know n- nobody wants to go back to um looking at the the black and white 2d images because it's better to look at, at, at 3d but it's it, it needs to be more accessible to to more people in order for it to have in order for it to reach it, its true potential and i just thought it was it was really great that you got so many different perspectives in that that feature so um i would recommend if you're not already a print subscriber go and checking out the digital edition um, over on tcmagazine.com and, and having a read of that
And um, we also introduced in this issue a new feature on emerging markets. So those kind of industries that we don't often talk about that it's a manufacturing, but are really uh, kind of coming up as um, ones to watch. And Sam, you covered um, the use of additive manufacturing in batteries uh, for your mm-hmm. feature. And you spoke to um, Jennifer Lewis uh, from Harvard University and also Photocentric as well. Yeah, so we spoke to Jennifer Lewis, who was part of the what we believe to be the very first research effort into 3D printing batteries. So it was really great to speak to her. And then we spoke to Photocentric, who have um, set up their own research unit inside uh, the company. And, and they kind of described it as the most important or most significant thing they've they've ever done, really, because they, they think the market for batteries is so big. And um, there's loads of different aspects in there um, that are quite interesting. Photocentric believe they're going to be able to really hit the kind of scales they were doing with the COVID face shields um, last year with the same kind of technology. Um, they think that's possible with their um, LCD uh, resin 3D printing technology. And then Jennifer Lewis came up with a really kind of interesting idea about if you think about batteries in vehicles, electric vehicles, or, or kind of, you know, standard uh, cars, um, the batteries are just are just there to serve the purpose of being a battery and delivering power and she was talking about the idea that if you make um if you can make structural structural elements that are also powering the vehicle so if you had if you had the battery power just in the door um in the door panels then then that would save so much weight because now things are, are multifunctional and they're not just you know on the floor of the car or in the, mm-hmm. on the bonnet or wherever just being there as a big block of battery not doing anything else but powering the car um, so there's loads of different things in there. there you know, Jennifer Lewis has done research um, and found that you can make batteries the size of a grain of sand and there's just all sorts going on. Um, so there's um, there's plenty of interesting stuff in there and I'd probably say there's loads more interesting stuff out there that we weren't able to, to fit in for, for various reasons, but um, it definitely seems like a market for 3D printing that's picking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely uh, one to watch. And uh, similar with the semiconductor industry, which is one I looked at and well, tried to wrap my head around anyway. <laughs> I spoke to Valor3D, 3D Systems and Nana Dimension about how 3D printing could potentially um, have an impact on the semiconductor supply chain. As we know, the world is experiencing this ongoing shortage of semiconductor components, uh, which live inside all of our electronic devices. Um and when I spoke to 3D Systems, even though we're looking at this as an emerging market, it's actually, it's not that it's never been used in additive manufacturing before. It's just that we're thinking now about, okay, now we've got this shortage. How actually can we really think about utilizing this technology um, more effectively? Because 3D Systems have apparently been using the technology for a long time in the Belgium office. They've been manufacturing equipment for semiconductor equipment manufacturers for um, a decade now, um, using this, what was a kind of a secret metal printer which they use to print parts as a service. Uh, but now Scott Green, Principal Solutions Leader at 3D Systems, has said that they're now producing um, a couple of hundred successful production projects for semiconductors, which is just 
a, a crazy amount when we think that this is considered an emerging industry for additive manufacturing. It was also good to get the perspective of Benny Buller, who is the CEO at Valley 3D and used to work in the semiconductor um, industry. He was talking about how additive manufacturing is actually really well suited um, to fit some of the, um, the classical problems that we get in the semiconductor manufacturing industry, things like control of heat, control of chemicals, uh, liquid flow, that kind of thing. It, it's a very appropriate technology for some of those challenges. But um, there's also a few things that additive manufacturing maybe needs to get a bit better at, which is um, tackling the levels of cleanliness which are required for the semiconductor industry. Cleanliness is so, so, so important in dealing with um, so many different layers within semiconductor fabrication. You can't really afford to get, um, you can't really afford to have any mistakes there. You know, everything needs to be very, very precise. And um, we're talking about things down to, to nanoparticles, really. That's how accurate um, these these parts need to be. So while it's great for something, there's also challenges that the industry faces as well. And at the minute, we are talking more about additive manufacturing being used for the manufacture of semiconductor fabrication equipment rather than manufacturing semiconductor devices themselves. But it was also interesting to get the perspective of um, Nanodimension, who are using the Dragonfly LDM technology to print electronics. They've been doing that for several years now. They deposit both a um, dielectric polymer and a nanosilver material to create circuitry. And the company says that it operates between the worlds of PCB and semiconductor integrated circuits. So they don't actually manufacture semiconductor components, but they think because because the whole world is so connected now and everything is an IP address and needs to communicate with each other. Everything is so, so connected. Well, everything is going to need some kind of circuitry, some antenna in it, some kind of, um, some kind of connectivity. And that's a real opportunity of additive manufacturing to come in there within this industry. So there were so many different options for additive within this sector, which I just found super, super interesting because it's not an industry that we get to, to talk about very often. And it's not something that we really we really hear about. Um, elsewhere, we also talked about post-processing. Sam, you covered um, the need for automation in additive manufacturing post-processing to really allow the technology to scale. And we also spoke to Phil Reeves about a business case justification for additive manufacturing. He has just authored a paper, um, a past document, sorry, um, on the different considerations that need to be made by companies in order to make the right financial decisions about additive manufacturing are the important questions you need to answer before you take the plunge and buy a piece of additive manufacturing equipment how to avoid those train wrecks that apparently he has seen a lot over 20 years uh, he has been consulting in this industry we also had a Q&A uh, from Nora Teray who is the founder of Women in 3D Printing um, and yeah it's just not to be big headed but it's a great issue <laughs> it was a great issue it was good to put together as well yeah and as you say like you know with 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 features like healthcare um, that we do every year you do have to sometimes look for for a new angle all the time, but it was good to, to look at industries and markets that we don't typically get to, to look at. Um, and, and yeah, it was just, it was fun to see where, you know, kind of what the next big market for 3D printing might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was also nice to have um, Dimension on the front cover as well with their brand new uh, mm. post-processing systems. That was, that was cool. It was great to see how far that company has come in just a very few short years. 
Um, so that's about it for today's episode. We definitely went over time. Uh, thank you very much for, for listening. If you like what you hear, don't forget, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And for more additive insight, head over to tcmagazine.com. We can get your free print subscriptions to TCM Magazine and get the biggest foodie printing news stories delivered straight to your inbox every week with our additive insight newsletter. Thanks very much. And we'll see you again next time. Bye. Thank you.